Welcome to the St Albans podcast, bringing you news, views and reviews for the city and district of St Albans. In association with the Hearts Advertiser. Welcome along to another edition of the St Albans podcast with me, Danny Smith. Coming up on this edition, we'll be hearing from our very own health correspondent, Alan Bellinger, getting the latest on what's happening health-wise in our local area. But before that, let's go over to the dynamic duo that is Laura Bill and Matt Adams. Hello. Hello. They are from the Hearts Advertiser, no less. Uh, the finest local newspaper in print in this area. <laughs> that's, that's fair to say, isn't What's it? What's an accolade? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so anyway, uh, yes, thank you for coming along once again, making the arduous journey all the way down the stairs um, to, from, from your, your opulent newsroom to our little kind of hole here. And, uh, <laughs> Boiler room. Yeah. Like yeah. Freddy Krueger, you are. Yeah, yeah. I guess so. But uh, yeah, without the manicure. Um <laughs> Were they, no, they weren't his nails. It was like a glove thing, yeah. wasn't it? Play. Anyway, that doesn't matter. Um, tell us about the first news story. Right. Well, this story actually dates back, um, well, it has its roots almost as far back as I, as my connection to the Hearts Advertiser. Um, it starts off... 1927. Yeah, thank you. 2010, actually. So when's that? 11 years ago. Well done. Thanks. He did that on his own. He didn't have maths. Yeah. Um, Shout out to Matt Adams, the maths teacher in Essex all those years. Oh, she'll be long since dead. (laughs) (laughs) Um, This is the story of um, uh, Nikki Freeman, who was then 17. Um, Her Ford Fiesta um, collided with a tree. She was driving to her school prom um, in heavy rain in May 2010. Um, She went through, um, she suffered um, quite severe head injuries, but went through a remarkable recovery process um with various forms of therapy um and you know now is in a you know as it's just each apparently according to her parents she's still making improvements um so you know it's a it's a wonderful story and we've covered various aspects of it over the years she got a um duke of Ed, uh yeah gold standard duke of edinburgh award from the earl of wessex and uh, she was on the BBC documentary, The Unbreakables, and all this sort of stuff. Anyway, <clears throat> flash forward to today, and her um, her father uh, is campaigning um, alongside about 200 MPs for um, a government strategy on what are called acquired brain injuries, ABI. Um, a um, Welsh MP, Chris Bryant, he's put, um, got a... Um, private members bill to get this strategy in place it's sort of like what they had for um with the autism bill some years ago but there isn't anything in place to sort of give you know the the right level of support for people who've um been affected by abi and that's you know more than one million people in this country um so they went to uh 10 downing street on monday um to present a letter to the prime minister calling for his support so it's quite a big deal and um it's it's interesting you look back at something like this when you, you know you've been covering this story since it first happened and I remember um, when she had her accident and you know how traumatic it was um, for her friends she went to St Albans school uh, yeah St Albans High School and they fundraised for the facility where she was in a coma for a month and and you just you know and I, it's funny when something this pops up again because I haven't. You know, well, it's it, not funny. Well, not funny, no. Funny, funny, weird, not funny, ha ha. Yeah. Haven't spoken to her dad for some time. And um, yeah, he got back in touch about this. And I think it's, a, mm. you know, it's, it's hopefully this is something that, that 
we can, you know, we'll, we'll be taken up because it's not going to cost anything. It's just almost like a, well, it will cost something because, you know, nothing's for free, but it, it's not like a massive outlay. Yeah. It's just to bring everything together and understand what, you know, the needs are and, and um, the challenges faced by Well, it's something people. that hopefully <clears throat> isn't, it, it shouldn't be politicised. Hopefully this will get support from across well, the... Well, it has got um, support from across, um, across party support yeah definitely but it also um uh interestingly although daisy cooper's supported it um right. bmf alarmy hasn't oh that's interesting yeah, isn't so it i don't know why you know what the um what the reason why you wouldn't back something like this but uh has he has he, he offered any comment we haven't uh, actually gone to him for a comment but right. found that up subsequently okay looking at the list of mps mm. I mean, I don't know why I'm defending the chap, but maybe he, I don't know, maybe it hasn't come to his attention. Maybe, maybe it's not that he's, he's declined yeah. to support it, just that he hasn't had the opportunity to support it yet. That'll yeah. be it. Yeah, um, sure. I'm, very, I'm being very, very positive there. I mean, I have no in- indication that that is the case. I'm just offering off an alternative because he's not here to defend himself at the moment. Maybe you should invite him on the show. Love to. Yeah. Love I've never to. met the guy. No. Enough. You had a yeah. meeting with him once, didn't you? But he didn't turn up. Do you remember? Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's... Um, uh, lackey did right. I can't remember the right word. Lackey probably isn't it. No, no, no. <laughs> an associate, somebody who works for him, part yeah. of his office. Personal yeah. assistant. assistant. Right. Okay. Lackey. <laughs> yeah. Is that what you call me? Yeah, I do, and I mean, <laughs> and I mean it. Yeah, and that's one of the politer things he calls you, Laura. Uh, okay. Um, so, so it's good. To, it's good to hear <clears> that this story is. Um, uh, you know, it sounds like there's something quite positive is going to come out of this. Yeah, yeah. Which yeah, will be of help crossed. to other people as well. That's it. I mean, they. You know, the family said that. You know, they have always appreciated how much support they had, and she had like really, really loads of therapy and rehab and everything. And it was probably they realised it's probably a lot more than other people. Um, there's a big disparity depending where you are in the country and that sort of thing what uh, you know facilities you've got access to okay and uh, I gather that Nikki herself is back in the area now. yeah she lives in um, uh, St Albans part of the Camp Hill community right yeah so it's brilliant yeah, yeah. And, and they do amazing work don't they, they do yeah um, yeah so uh, okay well Cafe in the Corner that's them isn't it that's yeah that's that's one of their, their things yes um, that's the Camp Hill um, people that it the, is it the camp hill something trust is the their uh, formal name village yeah. trust, village trust. That's, that's it, it. Um, yeah but, but yes uh yeah so yeah do wonderful work and yes that cafe um yeah if you go along and, and spend lots of money in there you're helping them so it's it's very sort of charitable you don't need it? an excuse though do you go, what, go to in the cafe and spend lots of money <laughs> no but but given that we are on occasions accused of promoting um various specific businesses locally this is one that's not who really accuses, a business who puts that oh, you can believe the fires i have to put out after these <laughs> shows go to air sometimes. letters to the editor something like that yeah. anyway um okay well uh thank they you they started doing tea in there now <laughs> Uh, the Camp Hill, yeah, they're open on Saturdays now, I believe. I think they recently reopened at weekends again. Brilliant, pop um, along. Yeah, it's a very, very good cause. And uh, yeah, and undoubtedly, we will hear more about this as it progresses yes, yeah, through definitely. the Heights Advertiser. Thanks, Matt. Thanks, Laura. We'll have another story from them in a moment. Time now to welcome uh, back uh, onto the St. Albans podcast, the one and only, the inimitable Alan Bellinger <laughs> with more health matters. Hello, Alan. What a brilliant welcome. Thank you very much. It's great to be back with you, Danny, and great to uh, be with all the podcast listeners. Okay. So, so we've, got three, we've got three subjects for today. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to talk about um, vaccine protection and the waning of the antibody protection that it gives. Uh, we're going to talk about an update on the COVID numbers. But I thought we'd kick off with a question, is the NHS at breaking point? It's, um, 
Okay, yeah. It, it, it's timely because... We're, he, we're hearing this, aren't we? We're some some, some um, tabloids in particular are, are, are generating these kinds of headlines at the moment, aren't they? <laughs> and um, you know, this morning, um, Amanda Pritchard, who is, she's the lady that took over from Simon Stevens as the CEO of, um, of the NHS, she said this morning to, made, to the NHS leaders, she said, I hear you when they sort of talking about the troubles. And I was thinking, I wish you'd hear patience as well. Or, or hearing and understanding or, or acting appropriately. <laughs> doing something are, about it. They're all yeah. different things, aren't they? That's I hear it. you. It's a very empty, <laughs> empty phrase. But. But, but let's try and break it down and, 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 and assess really what's going on. So there's, there's sort of really four elements of, that make up our, our healthcare at the moment and our, our patient experience of healthcare. The pharmacies, which... Are generally coping well, though there are supply supply issues with medicines. Primary care, where I think uh, it's generally recognised that things are pretty tough. Um, ambulances and getting to hospital. Well, patient transport services is having problems, but generally ambulances and uh, the only real problem that ambulances are having is is that response times right now are averaging over fifty minutes. So that means if if someone needs an ambulance. Uh, they could be wait, waiting on average up to 50 minutes for the um, for the that, that the average is 50 minutes and the average should be 18 minutes and that's, that's a big difference isn't it and that, what a measure of, of problem that is and of course in secondary and acute care the the system's absolutely running at capacity so so let's drizzle down into that first of all and, and what's the issue with primary care um, and, and there are really five issues that make up the problems at the moment. The first is lack of GPs and nurses. Um, the surgeries are significantly under their planned headcount at the moment, and they're unable to bring in locums because there's just no locums to be had anywhere. Um, and um, so really, um, there's, there's a real problem in terms of manpower at the surgery. The second thing is, is down to us as patients. There's a real increase in, in patient demand at the moment. At the morning surgery, the number of telephone calls a day has doubled from around 500 a day to over 1,000 a day. And they typically get 400 calls between 8 and 10 in the morning. I mean, that's, so they're getting as many calls in just two hours that almost that they had a, in a whole day before. Yeah, and it's, I think if you you think why are so patient demand so high? It's part of it is the backlog. Part of it is that we were reluctant to go to the surgery when um, COVID was high. I do think though that I've said this before, and I'm probably won't be popular with the surgeries that are listening. But I wonder how much of that though could be avoided if if things were a little more efficient. Just looking at my own personal experiences of using a doctor's surgery, um, the last couple of times I've had to make contact with one, it's ended up being three or four phone calls each time when it could have been one. And because of not getting the right information in the first call or being, or being told wrong information in one instance and then having to call back and then having to call back again and, and, and a lack of clarity. Yep. You know, it, 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 Now, I'm talking about a very specific thing, but in that situation, in on both instances one phone call could have covered it if yep. it was done better and th- I, I bet you anything there's an element of that that could help with this i'm sure there is i'm, sh- I'm sure there is um third ed- i'm now at the bottom of the queue again now aren't i at, the, at my local <laughs> surgery for that um i think but but equally from a patient perspective i think there's an increase in our expectations um so along with the 
the increase in demand. There's there's also a demand for sort of instant solutions to things. Um, there's an increase in their workload because some of the stuff from secondary and acute care was passed down to the doctors to deal with, like repeat prescriptions and that sort of thing. And I think their motivation levels at the moment are pretty pretty low because of um, because of the demand, because of frustration at their ability to cope. Oh, and stresses and demands of the job and, 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 and how, or oh, just how horrible it must be at the moment working at, at that cutting edge of, 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 you know, GP's practice would invariably lead to mistakes that might lead to some of the things I was describing. So I yeah. guess it is all, it's all interlinked, isn't it? It is, it is. It's yeah. a, it, there's a, a very vicious circle, I think, going going on there at the moment. So um, so, so that's, that's really bad news. Okay. The, you know, the fundamental problem for ambulances at the moment um, is that when they get to A&E, they have to wait outside. There's a, you know, reports of ambulances waiting outside for up to three hours. See, that's that, ridiculous, that, isn't that's it? That's the contributing factor to why their response times are so low. I mean, isn't that an easy fix? Can they not just somehow drop them off? You know, because surely if the ambulance is then tied up, then, then it can't be out saving lives, you know, because ambulances aren't just a delivery. They're not just like Deliveroo for sick people, are they? <laughs> they don't just, you know, like a hospital orders up some sick people and an ambulance delivers them. Yep. It's it's more than that, isn't it? They often save lives. They attend incidents. They're, yes. they're the first point of contact sometimes in an emergency. Yep. And if they're waiting in a queue for three hours to drop off somebody, surely that's an inefficient use of their time. We can all remember busy waiting rooms at A&E and urgent care and that sort of thing. So, um, but they can't, they can't, you know, they've got a social distance within the waiting rooms. So right. They, but they, surely, they is there not a way of they, they can, that they can offload so that they can be back out saving lives? Surely that's crazy to think they could be waiting for hours because they can't drop somebody off. Yeah, you'd imagine they could put some big porter cabins in or something like that and, and use that as an as a additional waiting room. There's got to be be a solution to that that is better than keeping an ambulance and its crew because of, you know, bureaucracy largely waiting at a hospital. Yeah. That's just crazy. Get someone on the phone for me, Alan. I'm going to have words with you. This, that's it. Surely you don't need to be medical to work that one out. Oh, I'll get, I'll get someone on the phone for you, Danny. Be sure of that. that really, I mean, it's, am I missing something there? Because that just seems a very simple fix. Yeah. You, just, you think yeah. that it would be. You know, if necessary, yeah. Porter cabins, tents, put something up. You know, and, and I realise that that's not nice for that patient. But surely, under the circumstances, it's better that they're in a corridor or somewhere than than they're taking up a whole ambulance crew because that isn't just one person is it that's going to be at least two people and a vehicle yeah i think i think the problem is though that if it's ambulance it is life-threatening and therefore you've still got to keep them under supervision yeah but then if it's life-threatening should they not be seen a bit quicker than three hours as well you know surely that the the risk is not leaving (laughs) leaving them dropping them off somewhere the risk is the fact they're not being seen by anybody yeah but if they're in the ambulance they've got a paramedic with them so (sighs) Yeah, no, I, okay. I mean, I've, yeah, no, that's a fair point, but it still seems crazy to me. I, you know, you, you one would imagine that there must be a better way of triaging yes. to, to, to deal with that. Yeah. Because some of the people in A&E may not have the same 
I mean, I, I'm sure we've all been to A&E. We've been stuck there for hours. And then you just suddenly see somebody, an ambulance rock up and people, somebody gets trolleyed through and you think, oh, I've been waiting for ages. And they just get to jump the queue. <laughs> well, they're there being like been, saved, you know. Been, been there, done that. Yeah. <laughs> so, so really, is it the breaking point? I think the answer is it's just, just darn close to it. Okay. But now cast your mind back a few years, Alan, pre-COVID. Yep. Every year there was normally a story in the news about hospitals were but nhs is at breaking point you know yep. this flu epidemic this year could cause this and yeah so is it do you get to the point do you, do you see now there'd they be a bit of weariness and fatigue among perhaps listeners thinking oh it's that breaking point again again <laughs> and and yet in your experience and you know you, you you do have a perspective that a lot of us don't have through through your involvement with the yep. running the, the the local patient participation yep. group um do you think it is worse than it has been before I, I think that the fundamental thing that is worse is exhaustion among nurses and doctors. Um, so it's not necessarily it, it, that, that COVID is getting bad again to the point that it's putting the strain on. It's the strain from the last 18 months of fighting the last, COVID. The last 18 months. And, the, and I, th- I, think, I think people are really at the end of their tether. And um, I think you know, the whole goings on of, of COVID and the pressure that people were under and the exposure that they were under... Um, that that's really had a toll, and I and I think that's where the the big problem is, um, particularly in secondary and acute care. That's where the big problem is. But uh, you know, because in primary care, the big problem is lack of people. Hi, I'm Chris Aikman. Join me, local author Howard Linsky, and St Albans podcast producer Sam Rolfe for the St Albans Film Guide. Each week, one of us will guide you through the new releases at the cinema and on streaming services. We'll also give you our choice of the best films to watch on UK free-to-air TV for the forthcoming week. So if you're a film lover, join us for a chat about all things movie-related every week as part of the Snowbans podcast. New episodes will be released every Friday morning. For more information, visit snowbanspodcast.com or find us where any good podcasts are found. Another new story now from Laura and Matt from the Hearts Advertiser. You're right. Well, here at the Hearts Advertiser, this is an unfortunate thing. Yeah, we, we always try to present, you know, the, the positives and negatives about different organisations, trying to be very balanced, you know. So just a few weeks after we were singing the praises of Hearts Police for their yeah. investigative work in um, tackling a drugs gang, we've unfortunately got a, a story that shows them in perhaps less positive light. Is that right? Positive light, less a less bright light. I guess. I guess what we. I mean, I don't know what you're about to talk about, but but I suppose some I an organisation like the police, it's not sort of weird to be one week praising and then one week saying no, something that's what I think. negative because we're not talking about one thing, are we? So you can praise one section of it, and that and and then you could equally you could be critical of another section of it, and it's still the same overall body. But it'd be I don't know. It could be almost like singing the praises of the, the, the sports department of the Hearts ad, but, but really rubbishing the news department. You know, they, they are two different department. things. But, but it could be... <laughs> se- three people you're talking about. <laughs> but, but, but it could be seen as, you know, yeah. one yeah, week you're is. saying the Hearts ad's good, next week you're saying it's bad, when in fact you're looking at different bits of the we same are, thing. We yeah. are, and I think this... But we're not know, saying the police are bad. No, we're saying that... N- not not overall, the police but you might whole. be being critical of mm. one specific well, let's, thing. Well, let's, let's focus, and you can sort of get make your own mind up. So a single dad, uh, Eddie Crowsdale... Um, answer the door of his flat in Riverside Road on Sunday morning to see a squad of uh, armed police pointing guns at him. Um, They shouted at him, you know, armed police, hands in the air, don't look at me. (laughs) This sort of thing, as you see, like something out of some sort of cop show. And he was um, cuffed, pushed up against the wall and cuffed. 
His son was um, asleep in bed. He didn't get a chance to talk to him. He was taken outside, interrogated about the whereabouts of someone called Jordan he'd never heard of. And he was sort of left standing there um, under guard in just his um, T-shirt and underpants. Um, some sort of half an hour later, he, um, the officer that he was with spoke on his radio and asked who he was. And then they realised that they'd got the wrong address and they were a bit embarrassed and they took him back upstairs. And he was left there. Uh, he told one armed officer that he'd made a mistake and he was sort of shouted at and implied that he was, you know, in some way it was all his fault. <laughs> um, so another um, per- sergeant came along later and apologised, but he's, uh, Eddie said his main interest was trying to convince me that mistakes happen, I shouldn't worry about it, and should just see this as pretty normal and move on. Now, obviously, we went to the police about this and they said that they'd had reports of um, someone in, the pl- in the, one of the flats being held at knife point. And so, you know, due to the nature of this, armed officers turned up and as they didn't have a specific um, location, they carried out a search and a number of addresses to find out if there was anyone in danger and detain any suspects. Um, and then they went on their way because the, um, they, they didn't catch anyone. But Which, you know, is fair enough if you look at it in isolation. I just think, well, arguably, they were very heavy-handed in the way they dealt with this. Um, yes, you could turn up and, you know, caution someone, but they, this guy was, like, basically dragged out and apparently his son was woken up by people, by coppers pointing guns at him in his bed. This kid's 15. You know, it's really traumatic. Is this over the top? You know, they could see a sleeping boy was not in some way holding anyone, you know, hostage with a knife. So did you need that level of, you know, intervention? So, so have the police offered you any kind of response to this? Yeah, that's what they said. Oh, you know, they, because, it, you know, they'd heard this, they'd had this report, they, you know, they send in armed officers. Um, you know, public safety is their number one priority. Um, so the afterwards, the officers attended to explain the response and provide some reassurance to those living in the area. Right. And they're in contact with one of the occupants to discuss their concerns. I would say that it's probably not that unusual, though. If if you look at it from the police point mm, of view, yeah. what are they supposed to do? They, they hear that there's someone held hostage in a certain area in a block yep, of flats. Yep. They, if they, if say it was someone that had held me hostage, like I wouldn't have a problem with them like banging on different neighbours' doors to see if I was all right. Because yeah. what? It's better to be safe wouldn't than sorry, tip, surely. If, say, it was, someone, you know, you were being held hostage and you could, you, you know, your um, kidnapper was, heard all these coppers, you know, banging on doors, it was sort of might have alerted them to that this was going on. Oh. Yeah, but if, you, if you were the one in the if you were the one being held, I think you'd be wanting like to do your everything. rescuers to kick yeah. down every door they but could. But could yeah, exactly. that could have escalated the situation. He could have thought, "Oh no, I'm not going to get out this alive," and you know, done you in and him in. I wonder. So, so from what you're saying, and 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 it's kind of this is going to sound dangerously like I'm siding with Laura on this, but I don't, don't do that. <laughs> It's about time, really. It is, isn't it? You're you're bound to have a good point at some time or other. Um, (laughs) No, but but with this, is it not so much questioning the actions of the police doing the arrest? It's perhaps more the aftermath, the the way that that an apology was issued. Is that maybe the question? And the fact that they they left him down in the street in his pants and his t-shirt for so long. You know, this would should have been. So, how long was he there for? Well, he said he was down there. Twenty minutes passed um, before he. he was told well, he asked what was um, going on he was told to shut up and then another 15 minutes the officer spoke in his radio and, and they asked asking questions about who he was and then he said they had the wrong address and then he was still down there for uh, for a lot longer before they brought him up 
Because in the again, in the police's defence, I imagine just about every time they raid somebody, the the likelihood is is the person says it's not me. You've got the wrong address. They, and it probably they probably need to verify that. They need to ascertain that. And and I can imagine maybe that does take time. Mm. But, but he it says he could have. They could have found. They could have done a simple check to find out who's a single single dad living with his son because it's on the council. You know, yeah, but if you see if somebody's waiting, held up at knife point, then you're not going to have time to check the council tax okay, register, right. are you? Worst case scenario, maybe he'd, you know, this had happened and he'd been like terrified. Didn't know what he'd open the door with, you know, holding something that might have, you know, looked like a gun or whatever or a knife or something. He, you know, panicked because he didn't oh, know what was going on. And you know what? There's been pl- many a police drama that's been based around that sort of thing. That the beginning of Line of Duty, yeah, the first series, yeah. was exactly that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So he hadn't spoken a can English. Of hairspray or yeah. Uh, he hadn't been, you know, he hadn't been. He didn't speak English, and there was a communication problem. And you know, there was some. You don't know what's going to no. happen. But equally, the police don't know what they're about to face as they no. go through a door. No. They don't mm. know what that person has. They, they, mm-hmm. you know, to me, it sounds like. Th- the way the, the guy was treated was incredibly unfortunate and it was terrible. And they should be, they should look into how they got to his house. Mm. You know, was it a clerical error? Was it a number that was... They like, just didn't know where they were going. They yeah. were just looking at, knocking at loads of doors. Yeah. So there should be some sort of inquiry into how they called on that person's door. He should be offered a, a, a proper apology and potentially some sort of compensation mm. as an apology, maybe. But I'm not sure their initial actions are wrong. I would have thought, arguably, that... This could have been dealt with very, very quickly once they realised it wasn't the person they were looking for. But do you say for. it was quite early in the morning? No, it was about half past eight. So, you know, not on a Sunday morning. Uh, Sunday morning, yeah. Well, I mean, like you're saying about verifying something with the council, I can't imagine well, no, that would have been easy no, to have done at half eight. It must have, the police have got, rec- you know, records, haven't they? They, record, they can check things. There must be linked databases. I would imagine so, but equally, some of the people mm. who might do that may not have been on duty at that yeah. time in the morning I, I'm, I'm, I've, I'm, my heart goes out to the guy for what he had to suffer yeah, I can imagine that nightmare that traumatic. trauma I yeah. once, this is nothing compared to what he went through I was once walking up um, what's the road behind the Crown Court it, up a Marlborough Road mm-hmm. I was on my way to, to, the, to the radio station back in the day and I was stopped by three armed police officers and, but all they said was can you wait there please and there was a big van coming out the back of the Crown Court with some high profile villain in the back of it and uh, but but the fact that they had like machine guns and were pointing at me and telling me to mm. stop, I pop a Did you just myself. D- d- uh, lie down the ground, put your hands behind your head? No, I start telling them stuff. <laughs> I start just confessing. No, no, but no. And seriously though, it really shook me up. I got into the radio station. I was quite sort of shaken. Well, by we it. don't come into. And all I was told was just basically, yeah. could you just wait there and yeah. please? So I could only imagine how he must have felt. We don't come in contact with guns very often in this country. I mean, he no. said he had all the, the little laser targeters on his chest, dancing around. That would freak me out, honestly. It would, and he's—he was like trying to convince them that he was, you know, who he who he was, who he said he was. Yeah. But the, I think the thing, the problem was they weren't listening to him. They, you know, they they kept the, the aggressive way that he said he was treated. You know, slammed up against the wall and cuffed, and then dragged out on the street and told to shut up every time he tried to ask something. That smacks to me as unnecessary well i mean it'd be nice to think that the police might look into this mm. and might look into the actions get reports from the person involved and the other officers at the time but equally i just imagine that just about everyone they arrest in that manner is all going to be saying it wasn't me you've got the wrong person and yeah and and it, you know they're probably quite used to saying that and in that moment they probably don't care all they're thinking about is making sure that they're safe and that other people around are yeah, safe. absolutely they will verify whether that's the correct person later because if the if police isn't primarily, you know, their number one priority is safety, not customer service. Yeah. Right. So 
in that way, I think, I remember doing, when I was a teacher, we did this um, terrorism training and the, the, some guy came in from the Met Police. An- school anti-terrorism training? Yeah, anti-terrorism yeah, training. I was going to say, otherwise you'll get arrested No, yourself. it was like terrorism, as in what to do if there's a terrorist attack. Yeah, and right. they said that the the main thing that the police will do in that situation is try and find the person who's doing the who's got the bomb or whatever yeah. right so they're not like going oh hello hello don't worry everyone's fine they're literally like what the what the advice is is to literally just get on the floor shut up and do whatever they tell you mm. because their priority is to find the perpetrator and they even he was even explaining this guy that um and it does make sense when you think about it that they would step over people that were hurt and stuff and because that's not them they're not the yeah. ambulance service they're the police and they're just trying to solve the problem mm-hmm. so in that way these guys were probably just trying to sort the problem out mm-hmm. so, so in conclusion in all this are the police going to look into this a bit i more? think they are yeah they're they think that's the what okay. reading between the lines that's what they mean by they're in contact with him it must have been terrifying for the yeah. guy and especially and his, son. his son's there yeah. and all that yeah and and maybe there's something that the police can do to make that better mm. maybe maybe a, a higher ranking officer can go round and but not at eight thirty in the morning. But maybe could go and you know explain to the the the, the, the chap and his son what, what why they did what they did, or yeah. to apologise if they did do something that isn't normally within their their protocol. If if they if an officer did step over the line in some way, to 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 address that as well. But I, I suspect that by explaining it and by apologising for the the error, by explaining how the error occurred, all those things would probably help for the for the chap and his son to move on from mm. that. I do Fair think enough. there's a bit of a pre. I mean, I could be wrong here, but it's just my own thing, like a slight prejudice from certain services sometimes over certain addresses. So like that block of flats, where where that is, mm. you know, if it's, say it's Telford Court, say it's Riverside Road, say it's, there's other oyster fields, you know, that, yeah. that they might be a bit more like ready to just steam in and squash everyone than if it was on, say, Albert Street or yeah. Prospect Road, you know? Yeah, I agree. It's yeah. like they're going in with a, a mindset. Yeah, yeah, they have a preconceived idea. Yeah. If they called to an, if they were called to do a house in Marshallswick, they possibly wouldn't have gone in with the same no. fervour. No, that no, one on the no. Can you imagine so, though? No. I really don't think they would. No, no, no. no. Okay, well, I found that when when I used to do detached youth work in in like really deprived areas of Hemel, and the police were always driving around just looking looking at young people, you know, and it's always like antagonistic. Mm. Why are you doing that? Anyway. But uh, but yes, yeah, so you know, yeah, ter- terrible situation for that that chap and his son, and uh, and well, we hope that perhaps they get some sort of answers, which will give them a degree of closure in all this, and uh, we'll have one more news story from the Heartsad duo in a moment. We're back with Bellinger. Yes, part two of uh, our Health Matters feature with Alan Bellinger, no less. Uh, and Th- thanks, Smith. That's very good. <laughs> people call me that all my- That's one of the polite things people call me. Uh, okay. So we're going to talk a little bit now about COVID numbers. And, and there's quite a lot of numbers coming up. So uh, if you want to refer back to them, they're all in the article associated with the with this podcast yes yes there's a link to uh to alan's article in our description right now in fact if you look in the description of this episode you can just tap on that click on that however you you do that and you should get straight to it so you may have heard that our covid numbers were some of the worst in the country um and just to put some numbers around that we peaked in st albans on october the 28th at 736 cases per hundred thousand people and if you remember back in um 
January, when we were at our absolute peak, that was 770 cases. So, so that that October peak was almost as high as it was in January. That, that's that's quite a shocking um, factor. And looking at it another way, that means that um, on on October the 28th, um, one in 34 people in St Albans had COVID. One in 34. Where the national average was one in fifty, so that it just shows we really did have it quite bad at that point. Mm. Um, it's coming, it's coming down now. Um, this morning I checked, and the number of active cases today is two thousand eight hundred and eighty-nine cases in St Albans, which is one in fifty-two people. So remember, we at the worst we were at one in thirty-four. We're now up to one in fifty-two, so it shows just how it's dropped over the last uh, over the last three weeks. Yeah, so 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 we have seen. So it is worth bearing in mind with all of this that that this is the infection rate, and and that there there has been in the last couple of weeks a fall in the infection rate. Um, so it was it was almost as high a few weeks ago as it was in January. Yep. At the moment, it has fallen, and it's fallen by a, a, a noticeable amount. Yes, indeed, um, going from one in thirty-four people down to one in fifty-two people. Um, so there is there is a, a, a fall there, uh, and 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 I think it bears repeating as well that this is the infection rate which no longer is linked in the same way as it once was to hospitalisations and to deaths. So um, that the fact that it's it's quite widespread it doesn't mean what it meant a year ago. No, no, absolutely, absolutely. Um, the infection rate is high. Yeah, but um, because of because people have got antibodies in their blood now um, through vaccination or through previous infections then the impact or the, the effect of it is less than it would have been at the peak. Okay. You touched on hospitalisations. The latest data I have, uh, which is actually five days ago, is that there are 43 people in, in Watford and 36 in the Lister. So to put that into context, at Watford at the peak, there were 400 people in hospital with COVID. Okay. And so, so even though our numbers were near the peak... We only had a tenth of the number of hospitalizations at Watford Hospital that we had at the peak. That's right. And that's worth noting as well, because that that shows we're winning on this. We are we are we are doing well on it. You know, we are defeating this, but we're nowhere near out of the woods yet. And and, and that's what worries me is that there are people who kind of think, ah, but it doesn't matter anymore, it's it's all right now, and, and that's not the case either. Yeah. Now the other thing that's interesting is which age groups are the have the most of COVID, so which are the highest? Um, and traditionally, it's the under-19 group that are the highest. Um, and, and actually, they are still the highest, but they've come down quite significantly. In, um, at the peak, it was 46% in that, in that um, age group, the under-19 age group. That's now down to 35%. Um, and also, what's interesting... Um, is that well that that drop from 46 to 30 35 that was just happened in the last three weeks so it's not a it's not a half term effect it's 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 obviously continuing mm. um the next group are the 35 to 55 and they're and they're still dropping uh, uh they were 27 percent and they've gone down to 24 percent so that that group's dropping so which are the groups that are going up? Well, the two groups of real concern now, the 18 to 35s, they're up from 15 to 22%, and the 55 to 75 
uh, age group, which is up from 10 to 17 percent. Is there anything we can draw from that? Um, the, the main reason um, that, that the scientists are concluding is that those are groups that who's, who had the vaccine some time ago and the effects of it are waning. Um, and there are, there are two aspects to that. There's, there's one cohort that had COVID early on, they built up the antibodies, and therefore they didn't have, have the vaccine because they thought, I don't need it because I've already got the antibodies. And, and, and uh, that's dropping off significantly. There's a massive fall in the... Um, in the if you, so, someone who was uh, infected would have a sort of typical 80 to 90% protection in the first five months. It drops in the sixth month down to less than 50%. And so those antibodies are waning very quickly. The antibodies for um, people who've been who have had the injection are also waning, but not quite as quickly. So there's that. That's really the effect of of those two age groups are the ones that have had the vaccine the long had longest time ago, and therefore the protection is waning or are reliant on um, having COVID in the past. So um, yeah. Um so you, you're talking about those those particular um, age groups where um, uh, we've got the 18 to 35s and the 55 to 75s, uh, and, and and you've you know. You, but but we, so really, we're talking about how much protection the vaccine offers, and you're saying how it wanes over time. But do, do exactly. you exactly sort of continue on that a bit. Okay. So one of the one of the big impacts is on the has, has been on the 18 to 35. Uh, sorry, eight, under 19s, under 19s. Because initially they were granted just one dose, and now they're saying, "Well, that's not not sufficient, and therefore they've got to have a second dose." So it was announced on Monday of this week that seven, that seventeens and eighteens now um, are eligible for a second dose. How, how soon after the first dose can they have that? It, well, it, at the moment, the, initially it was going to be six months, but because of this wane in the last month, they brought that forward, so it's now five months. Okay. So, it's just because that won't have an immediate effect, will it? Because a lot of that age group have only recently been yes. um, vaccinated. Yeah, and, it's, and, and the percentage is still low in that. In that, um, in the percentage vaccinated within that um, 18, under eighteen group um, is only twenty nine percent at the moment. So that's still that's still relatively low. And so there's a big pressure to get um, to get those numbers up. Um, and I think, um, as I said, if you if you're relying on the antibodies that you created from uh, from the past, then really don't rely on that. If you if you were one of those people who had COVID, generated the antibodies, and thought, therefore, I don't need to get the vaccine, think again. Right. Yes, because there could well be people out there who think, well, I don't need to be vaccinated exactly. because I had it. But exactly. but the evidence is saying that they, that's not going to be effective very quickly, enough. And and really, you need to get to get that done okay and and it, and certainly they're bringing the booster dose down now um and so if you're eligible for the booster dose make sure you get that it's really important because as, as we saw earlier that that period of having the antibodies um is is really okay it's really slimming um all so, right so th- well then thank you alan um alan will be back next month with more health matters and a summary of what alan has talked about um is uh, on the, an article that he's written that you can find on our website com, and the link to that article is uh, also in the description right now until next time alan thanks very much thank you very much 
Hi, I'm Elspeth Jackman, inviting you to listen to my podcast, One to One with Elspeth. Find a local person with a story, and I'll be there to draw out all those little details you want to know about. If I'm fascinated, so will you be. Each week, I'll be talking to an interesting character who has a tale to tell. And the beauty of it is, you can listen whenever you want to. To find the podcast, go to your podcasting platform of choice and search for the St. Albans Podcast. Alternatively, go to stalbanspodcast.com slash Elspeth. That's one-to-one with Elspeth, part of the St. Albans Podcast in association with the Hearts Advertiser. You never know, you could be my next guest. Our final news story now from the Hearts Advertiser team from Laura and Matt. What have we got? Right, this is a crowdfunding campaign that's been launched to offer financial support to the family of a St Albans girl undergoing treatment for a brain tumour. This is Sarah Khalid, um, who's a Year 7 pupil at St Albans Girls School. Um, She wasn't feeling herself, visited her GP, subsequently went for a scan and then was rushed into hospital for an emergency operation. Uh, She's now recovering at GOSH. Um, now, friends of the family, yeah, great on, great great on Street. Street. Yeah. Uh, friends of the family are trying to help them through this difficult time by raising money um, to support them, um, as it looks like you know her journey might their journey might continue for a long time to come, as she may have to undergo radio and chemotherapy. Um, this, so this is a um, you know basically to help them out when you know to their priority really isn't worrying about money and it's just worrying about Sarah. Um, and they've already got, got about three and a half thousand pounds towards this, so it's doing really well. Okay, and, and in what ways the the money going to help? Will this pay for treatment? Well, or? yeah, it's, it's because no, it's won't. Pay, it's not paying for any treatment. It's basically because the parents are going to be, you know, having to take time off work to in order to um, support her. And th- there are so many associated costs with something like this because it's you know you don't forget you if she's in a, a hospital in London, you've got a lot of um, transport Travel. costs. Yeah. Um, accommodation it's all that sort of stuff the, the invisible costs behind sort of um, uh, you know supporting a, a patient like this okay um, so first off I mean how is um, uh, how is Sarah doing she's yeah she's okay she's you know she's she's out you know she's had her operation and everything but you know they don't it's very early days this is you know li- literally within the last few days this has all happened so we were asked to you know do our bit to publicise it um, and it's been hard, for, you know, from a journalistic point of view, because the family is so traumatised about what's happened because it's so raw for them. Just, uh, you know, finding out the basic details in order to put the story together was was difficult. OK. How do you do that then when, in that situation? You sort of you'd rely on, you know, people who know the family contacting direct. I mean, we, we, we had mixed messages for a while, you know, about conflicting things about ages and schools and stuff like that. But... Um, you know, you, you've got I think people have to work with us, you know, don't they, Laura? We can't just, mm. you know, we, we we can't work in isolation. We need if we're going to do something like this and promote, um, you know, any good cause, we need people to to work with us. And sometimes it's, it's you know, it's providing visuals, uh, you know, in terms of photographs and things to tell a story. And other times it's the detail because everything you, you want to paint a picture mm. and to, you know, I'm when not, they're in that severe situation that they're in they're not in 
the best position to be pinging off, you know, JPEG photos exactly. and stuff and yeah. quotes, are they? Because that's yeah. not the forefront of their mind. No, no. And sometimes we, you know, it's it's the friends of the family that we rely on. Okay. But it is, you know, there are, you know, generally in, you know, in our, our day-to-day activities, you know, relying on that sort of support from our our readers is yeah. is crucial really sure um so there's a there's a just giving uh, page that i believe is being set up is that right yes that's right okay and uh, i can see the link on the article on your website yep, and so, so we will include that if you look in the description of this episode right now you'll see the link there but you can f- we'll also link to the story itself so you can find out more about that but we we wish sarah and her family every success you know, yeah, we hope absolutely. hope uh, longer term it all um goes smoothly mm. for them and uh, and yeah let's hope that they can help to they want to raise five thousand pounds and so did you say how much they've already uh, yeah got? it's about three and a half thousand oh, okay so, so yeah so it's, right right, yeah. Oh. it's not an astronomical amount it's just literally to give them that breathing space yeah okay well let's hope that that works out thank you for, for doing that. thanks for bringing bringing that to our attention i think people sometimes think that all that a local newspaper does is moan about potholes or road closures and you know this this is important stuff as well absolutely that, 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 that you you've never hesitated in sharing with others so thank you for doing that uh, so uh, that's it for, um, for for local news and that's it for another edition of the St Albans podcast so thank you to Alan Bellinger our very own health correspondent thanks also to Matt and Laura from the Hearts Advertiser and you can find out more about local news on their website which is heartsad.co.uk uh, coming up on the St Albans podcast later this week we've got the film guide with Tim Stafford uh, that's on Friday on Sunday the uh, Dagenham Street Baptist Church virtual service with Simon Carver on Monday we have one to one with Elspeth Jackman and and then this uh, show will be back uh, next Wednesday and uh, our guest will be uh, the food and drink critic, the, the uh, St. Albans podcast, very own food and drink critic, uh, Be- Becky Alexander. Uh, I had your mic off then, Matt. Say that again. <laughs> She's ours. I think we'll find we, we share We found her. her first. Yeah, well, we, we, we look after her better. <laughs> anyway, uh, she'll be here next week. Um, and if you want to find us, we're all over the social medias. We are on Facebook, Twitter, and the Instagram. We are at St. Albans Podcast. Uh, but uh, have a great week, and we'll catch you again real soon. Thanks for listening to this edition of the St. Albans Podcast with Danny Smith. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please rate, review and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or a podcast platform of your choice. This will help us reach more listeners. Join us, the St. Albans Podcast, next Wednesday for more news, views and reviews. In the meantime, commit no nuisance. Produced by Samantha Rolfe. Logo and artwork by David Ellis. This is an independent production in association with the Hearts Advertiser. If you would like to become a community partner or a sponsor of the podcast, please visit stalbanspodcast.com for more details.